Welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. This is episode five. I'm your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday. Please find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday. If you're listening to this, maybe you've already found it, but uh, you can find this podcast on the Newsday website, newsday.com backslash sports. It's on SoundCloud. Go to Apple, go to Google, go to Spotify. Uh, Thank you all for listening to the previous episodes. Um, Got a lot to cover again. Another big week for the Islanders who just keep on winning seven straight now um, as they're in this kind of weird portion of their uh, schedule where they're playing three games in 12 days. We're on another lull here, but they did win the three and four over the weekend. I'm joined in studio by my Newsday teammate Jim Baumbach, who's going to talk about our Sunday story or his Sunday story in Newsday. One county, two competing arenas. What is the future of Nassau Coliseum with the Belmont Arena on the horizon? Uh, Before we get to that, um, well, let me just start out by, uh, you know, I I, I don't necessarily dedicate, uh, do dedications here, but I I do want to note that uh, my father-in-law, Leonard Rubenstein, passed away last week at 88, and uh, all the love to him. Rest easy, Lenny. He was a big influence in my life, known him since I was 16. Uh, Going to miss him. And also a uh, get-well shout to my dad, uh, David, who's been in the hospital. So um, moving along... Um, yeah, so the Islanders this week, like I said, they, they get the three wins, uh, really good wins, too, uh, against the Coyotes. Maybe a little bit of a, a struggle at times up in Ottawa, but the Senators are, are not a good good team. So that, that that's a 4-2 win, and then you come back and you really dominate the Flyers, and you get three wins in four days. And uh, if you remember on the previous episode, I said it was going to be really, really interesting to see how the Islanders came out of their four, their first four-day break, you know, because typically teams are a little bit sluggish when, when you get that kind of break. Athletes are all about routine, no matter what the sport. Pro athletes are about routine, and they like playing a game. They like having a day off or a practice. They like playing, getting right back in the equipment and playing another game. And uh, four days off is, is a little much. It, it really – you know, affects the hands, affects the feet a little bit, and it certainly affects the mind. You have to get back into that game mode. And I thought the Islanders handled it beautifully. Uh, came out really, really strong against the Coyotes, uh, one of the best first periods uh, they've played, if not the best. And uh, they win that game 4-2. Um, and, and that was the first game that uh, Barry Trotz, uh, by necessity, moved Derek Broussard to right wing on Brock Nelson's line with Anthony Beauvillier, and uh, Barry seems to have uh, kind of fallen into something there because Brass has uh, Brass has looked much better on right wing than he has as a as a third line center. Um, so you go you go to Ottawa, you get a four two win, you get a couple of goals from Nick Letty, one on a penalty shot. Um, and the defensemen are, you know, as much as you talk about, you know, the, 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 
the top two lines, Barzell having a, a really good season so far. I think uh, the offensive contributions of a, a defense-first defensive core can't be overstated right now. You've gotten uh, goals in each one of those three wins from at least, from a defenseman. Uh, was going back through the notes. It's, uh, I think, eight straight games where a defenseman has at least one point or uh, seven around there. Uh, a defenseman has at least one point in all 11 games this season. Um, I think eight of those games you've gotten at least two points from a defenseman. So, uh, you know, the, the Islanders are scoring goals. Um, again, it, it's, it's that defense-first reputation but it's now three games where they've gotten at least four goals. Uh, they score five. That's a season high against the Flyers. And th- the line configuration, and again, by necessity, uh, due to injuries, is, is a little different because now uh, y- you sort of have these two scoring lines. You- you've-, you've got the Matthew Barzell with Anders Lee and um, – Anders Lee and Josh Bailey. Yeah, so that that configuration's been together. And then you got Brock Nelson with Bo and Brass. And that's sort of a second scoring line. And then the the bottom six has kind of been in flux a little bit. And then that is because of the injuries. But, uh, you know, maybe I, I don't know if they get anyone back when they play the Lightning on Friday. But you got Jordan Eberle still out with a lower body injury. Uh You've got now Matthew, uh, you've got now Matty Martin, and you've got Tommy Kuhnhockel on injured reserve, both out four to six weeks. You still got Leo Komarov out with this illness, and uh, don't know, you know, exactly when he's going to start practicing with the team again. I, I think the expectation is soon, you know, this week before the game, but then again, the expectation was last week. Uh, when you hear a guy with an illness, you expect, you know, maybe one or two days, certainly not over a week like this. Uh, Cole Bardreau is filled in uh, as a center, and, and now Matthew uh, Michael Dalcol was paired with Casey Sezikis and Cal Clutterbuck. So, again, the, the, the bottom six are, are a little bit in flux, but, again, it, it has been interesting because the Islanders don't, typically have kind of a, a top-heavy lineup like that. The Barry Trotz really prefers having four-line balance um, and, and being able to, you know, just get any of his lines out there. And he likes having a scorer, checker, you know, mixing and matching that way. And, and he hasn't been able to do that. Um, those were two big blows. I know Tom Kunakel or, or Matt Martin, for that case, have not been in the lineup every single game but uh those are two important forwards in in the makeup of the team uh that they're going to have to compensate for and like i said jordan eberly is still out so islanders juggling a few different things this week the injuries and also you know can they do the same thing this week that they did last week in in keeping themselves fresh through a four-day break, and and Barry Trotz is sort of keeping the same practice schedule where he practiced the day after the game, then gave his team the day off, and then is going to come back with two practices before the next game. And um, so it's Tuesday as we're recording this. The team is off on Wednesday. I suspect that the team is going to come in and have a similar hard practice double session you know, go well over an hour, 
lot of special teams work at the end, uh, similar to what they did last last week. It, it worked last week. Obviously, uh, you know the the Lightning will be a tough test coming into uh, into the Coliseum, but you know it, it worked last week. And uh, but but Barry Trotz knows how much you know losing those two guys mean to the lineup. Like I said, and uh, he was asked about it as soon as. The injuries were announced, and here's his response to sort of what happens with his lineup and, and what he's looking for from his team with, with those guys out. Well, you know, we talk about next like next man up mentality, but it's great opportunity for you know a guy like say like Michael who's been in the lineup a little bit. You want to be full time. This is a great opportunity for you, Ross Johnson. You know, there's great opportunities for those those guys right now to step up and show what they can there's, there's really no excuses uh you never wish injury on anybody but when there's door opens you either you either step in and uh join the party or you, you get kicked out for non-participation you talk better though about what those two guys mean not only on the ice but in the room as well well they're, they're both huge they're both uh great pros i mean uh both of them uh, there's a reason that they you know, we have success as a group as, as individuals like Marty and, uh, and Tommy. Um, they come with a smile on their face. Uh, they give you everything they have uh, in practice every day and as well as in, uh, in the games. And uh, really popular with their teammates because of those factors. And they're just good, good people, uh, good pros. Have you had to adjust your, I mean, I, I think you've done it a little bit with Casey out, but with missing a guy like Marty, to, does that change your bottom six to the point where you need to rely more on, on Barzi and, and Brock? Um, I, I think I, well, I've had to this year because of the, um, just our center ice uh, injuries and what have you. I've, I've gone to, uh, you know, with Leo, who's not a natural centerman, was playing center. You know, now he's out. Uh, so we, we've had to, you know, their minutes are up probably two and a half to three minutes probably uh, you know, per game, which is, it's a big jump. But, you know, last year, you know, overall in the league as top two centermen, they were probably towards the bottom. So, you know, as they keep maturing, they're getting a little bit bigger piece of the pie. And uh, you know, we'll get to the point where we, we get back to a little more of that four-line mentality. But uh, we haven't played a lot of games. Uh, at this point, we've had some big breaks, which is probably very helpful for them. No, uh... Leo is expected back at some point, yeah. right? Um, but you talk about a next guy up, Holbar Drove. What, what kind of opportunity does he have to kind of grab it right well, now? Well, he—it's—he's it's, another guy. I mean, obviously, he—he's uh, been in the, the minors for a few years. He's a—he's not a 19-year-old. He's a 26-year-old, and everybody has. I say, you know, you, you get to the NHL in different ways. You know, I've had some great stories of Vern Fiddlers and the. Uh, Joel Wards of the, of the world that you know you, you you can get to the NHL and you may not get there as a 19 or 20 year old, but if you stay you know diligent and and, uh, and become a really good pro and work at your craft, uh, you, know, you never never know when that opportunity comes. And right now there's an opportunity with our, with us. Um, you know I don't know if he got any opportunity or not in Philly. I can't say. I never asked him. Um, but he's got an opportunity with us, and you know, can you step through the door and make yourself a full-time player? That's really up to him. Uh, players really decide that, not necessarily coaches. So those are some of the on-ice ish- issues for the Islanders. And as I mentioned uh, in the opener, we have uh, Jim Bombeck 
of Newsday in studio with me, and we're going to talk about uh, the piece he did with Candace Ferretti, one county, two competing arenas. How does the, the Coliseum survive once uh, Belmont Park's arena opens up? And I, I guess I'll start there. Uh, the, the, the subhead on the story was, can Coliseum and Belmont Park coexist? What's your prognosis on that? It's obviously the question of Nassau County right now with uh, these two arenas eight miles apart. Um, you know, if you uh, if you ask the developers uh, or the, the state agencies that oversaw the, the approvals process, I mean, this is something they had to take into account. I mean, this is county. The Coliseum is owned by the county. The, the, it's county land. Uh, it would be irresponsible of the state to come in and put something up that's going to completely uh, kill uh, something on county property. So it was something that ESD, Empire State Development, which is a state agency for business development, they're the ones that obviously oversee the whole Islanders project. Um, it would have been irresponsible for them to come in here and not study that. And they do believe that they, that they can coexist, and they believe they can complement each other. They believe that they're going to be different. Uh, one will be bigger. One will be smaller. One obviously will be newer. One might you know host uh, different types of events. The thing that came about uh, through this story that I think I, I learned uh, personally is just that this is all dependent, from everybody's perspective, on this $1.5 billion development uh, that's being proposed to go next to the Coliseum. Now, anyone who's... Uh, lived in Nassau, been around Nassau, is going to say, well, you know, I've heard about that development, you know, 15 times in my life before over the last 40 years. Those have never come to fruition. Why should we believe this one's going to come to fruition? And that, that's the question of the hour is that everything else is happening right now. You know, someone might have said the same thing about an Islanders arena. You know, we've heard how many different Islanders arenas over the years. Now that's finally happening. So I think, uh, you know, the, the long and short of it is essentially that they believe they can coexist, but it's cr- critical that this uh, development takes place. In your reporting, just uh, what is your sense of this and, and what it can mean, you know, for Islander fans, you know, ones who go to the Coliseum? I mean, it, do you get a, a sense of the flow that, you know, fans, you know, we, we know what the party line is, that, you know, Belmont Park is going to be a great thing. Do you get the sense that there will be that that flow? Well, there, there's definitely going to be uh, competition. If we're talking just in terms of uh, the two arenas and how this is going to play out, I mean, there's just no way there will not be competition. And, and when you look at it from the Coliseum perspective, here they have this new Brand new arena, you know, going to be as technologically forward as, as it can be at this point, uh, you know, coming two years from now. And not only is it a competitor being built eight miles away, they're also taking away their top tenant at the same time. So it's like a double whammy of sorts. So what's uh, what does that mean? What's the uh, I think what that means is that, you know, the developments, you know, not to, uh, you know, harp that, you know, that is the party line. They're going to be different. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if they do come out, uh, as they say, the Islanders development is going to be, uh, they say, futuristic retail. It's going to be these outdoor malls, essentially. Uh, it's going to be high end. It's, it's basically going to be retail and entertainment. Uh, you're going to go there to shop and go to the game. That, that's what they want. The Coliseum development is going to be far more uh, mixed use. There's going to be housing. There's going to be biotech. There's, it's going to be a lot built in with Hofstra, NASA Community College. You're going to see it more as a, as a 
a, more of a community more so than a, a destination for shopping. So they think those two will uh, to factor in. But what does that mean in conjunction with the Coliseum? I mean, these are questions that they can't answer right now because it doesn't exist. What's your sense of how entrenched or, or stubborn the, the Coliseum ownership might be on this? I mean, are they really, you know, if it might, if it's not working, you know, how hard are they going to push on this? And, and that really is the question of the hour because, or question of the, the day or year or month, whatever. Because essentially, uh, if you asked me this question a month ago or two months ago, the ownership was different. Uh, two months ago, uh, the Coliseum was owned by the same company that owns Barclay Center. And obviously, that no longer exists anymore. You know, uh, Prokhorov, Michael Prokhorov. I always call him Mikhail. Right. And then every time you talk to Brett Yormark, he always calls him Michael. So I guess I'll call him <laughs> Michael here. Uh, Michael Prokhorov, the Russian billionaire, obviously the the once uh, uh, flamboyant uh, Brooklyn Nets owner. You know, he sells the Brooklyn Nets, sells Barclays Center to Joseph Tsai, the e-commerce uh, billionaire. Not included in that deal was the lease to the Coliseum or their 50% stake in Webster Hall. Now, why was it not included? Was it because Prokhorov didn't want to sell, or was it because Cy didn't want it? You know, we don't have the answer to that. I think we can all, you know, take a guess. Uh, at the end of the day, though, what that means is that now there is no uh, synergy between the Coliseum and Barclays Center. They won't be booking events in, in conjunction with one another. It won't be two against one when they go compete against Belmont. Coliseum is essentially going to stand on its own when they go uh, book events, and that puts them at a disadvantage because Belmont, obviously one of the one-third um, you know, partnership is this Oakview Group, and obviously we're getting into the, the weeds here, but Oakview Group is this arena development company that has a quote-unquote alliance with I think it's 26 arenas right now across the nation, and it helps them book you know, Beyonce or, or uh, you know, whoever the you – know, I shouldn't even, even try to do cultural references, but, you know, book whomever across. And it's easier for them to book because they have the United Center in Chicago. They have, you know, an arena in L.A. They have uh, the Gardens part of it, the Prudential Center and Newark's part of it. Now suddenly they can book these people to be in these arenas. And suddenly Barclay Center is going to be pushing for their piece of the pie. And the Coliseum is going to have to push just as much. So there's going to be competition. And what Coliseum ownership want? Coliseum ownership has become a, its own standalone company in the past month for the first time since they've existed. So what they want, I think they're still trying to figure that out as well. Yeah, it, it, it strikes me. I mean, you got a Long Islander in Billy Joel who's just made a, a late career out of playing Madison Square Garden as kind of a signature property. I mean, I, I'm thinking that the Coliseum, to, to remain viable as a concert venue, should have that kind of like anchor. I would think they're going to have to do something. I mean, basically, if you want to, uh, you know, get a little window into what my world is, and, and I like to refer to myself as the sports reporter who doesn't cover sports. Uh, I do look at arenas a lot, in, in the sense of, you know, now that Onexum, Onexum Sports Entertainment, which is what runs the Coliseum, they were the uh, holding company that owned the Brooklyn Nets and and uh, BSE Global, which runs Barclays Center. That's all that language that has to be included in there. That. All that means is essentially it's all the same company. Uh, essentially, um, and now I've lost my train of thought here. Uh, we're talking about Prokhorov. We're talking about next the ownership and yeah, yeah. I, I've lost my train of thought. So uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, keep going. Uh, well, I, I, I was gonna I was gonna ask you. I mean, it it strikes me that. 
you know, in the article it points out that the Coliseum and and Belmont really aren't going to be competing because they're different sizes. But when I think of different sizes, I, I, I don't think of a you know a, a two three thousand dollar uh, two three thousand seat difference, right? And, and and you just helped me get back to my train of thought, <laughs> which was essentially that in my world, looking forward with them. You know, I spoke to them on the phone uh, right after your mark uh, officially left, which was, I guess, about a month ago right now or six weeks ago at this point. And, and they were telling me that essentially that they're going to look forward on how to, uh, you know, they're still having success and who they're, they're, they just built, uh, booked Elton John. They just booked uh, a couple of people like that. But it, it, the light bulb went off in my reporter head where now if you really want to see what's going to happen with the Coliseum, go, go look at their calendar. Go look at their events calendar. And look at what May looks like. Look what June looks like. There's nothing on it. And mm-hmm. that's okay. That's months out. But anything that's booked from this point on is booked by Onexum minus Barclay Center. So now we're going to see who they're going after. Are they going to try to pivot? Are they going to try to get the eSports world? Which is obviously a very big uh, industry at this point, even though to this day, I don't understand the concept of going and watching someone playing <laughs> yeah. video games. Yeah, I see it on TV, and I'm like, <laughs> it's two seconds. I'm like, well, yep. I'm, I'm either going to watch a show or I'm going to play a video game myself. But, uh, but they do it, yeah, and people go. Um, but do they? Does the Coliseum uh, really embrace that? Um, they've had, uh, you know, UFC before. Uh, you know, I went to one of them because I was completely curious into what this world was and what it was, uh, what the Coliseum was. It was my uh, two uh, two birds with one stone. First time seeing the new Coliseum, and first time seeing UFC, and. And it, the Coliseum, uh, 15,000 seats uh, for that environment was a rarely, you know, I, I felt it was very intimate. I thought it, w- yeah. it, w- it could work in that. So maybe they, they really go double down on that. I mean, there's what the Onexum people say, and I know this is what the Islanders fans are like, you know, get back to the Islanders, get back to the Belmont. <laughs> but what the Onexum people say is essentially that there's room, there, Long Island is underserved for live entertainment. Now, I'm a lifelong Long Islander. I'm stunned by that because there's live entertainment on every single level. You can go to your local library. You can go to the Belmore Playhouse. You can At every level, you can all go all the way up, and there's live entertainment options. But that's what they believe, and that's what they're selling. So in talking about attendance, and this is when I had Neil Best in, uh, I think it was two episodes ago, and uh, and you, 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 you pointed out kind of where we went wrong, but uh, – we were talking about the size of the Belmont Park Arena, and you know, you you read all the the, the PR clippings, and and they're touting a nineteen thousand seat arena. Now, obviously, you, you told me for hockey that's going to be seventeen one one three, and Neil and I were talking about whether Belmont sounded a little bit large, and, and I'll ask you because even at seventeen one one three. Is that a little ambitious for what the Islanders draw? And your question also reminds me that uh, I did want to reference that I am a you know, first-time long-time here. I, I have listened to this before and first time on, so I, I appreciate you, call, you know, having me in. And uh, I do want to say also that I am envious of your podcast voice. I, I think I hear your, uh, your, your, your you can you really uh, – you've got that podcast voice down, and I'm, I'm envious. So anyway, so uh, in terms of Islanders, I mean, that, that's an interesting one because – you know, I, I've thought long and hard. Uh, thought long and hard about attendance. And, you know, to this day, I get those. Uh, I'm still on the email list for for most teams. 
I get their game notes after the game, and I'm the guy, the one guy that scrolls all the way down to check out the attendance more mm-hmm. so than I look at the score. Right. And I do that with Islander games especially. And, and right now the Islanders are, are really um, confounding me because they're not drawing right now. And I think you know there's no way to uh, dispute that. They are not drawing. Now there's some issues here, a couple games, obviously two different home arenas, which is unprecedented. Some of the games have been moved to the Coliseum. But at the end of the day, the Islanders have never drawn. You know, even in that last year at the Coliseum, you know, Coliseum 1.0, you know, last year, they averaged something in the 15s, which to them was like, wow, we almost filled up the, the house every single night. Whereas if you look at the Yankees and Mets with three times as large stadiums, their last year with twice as many games, they sold out most every seat. They were drawing 4, 4 million people those last years at Yankee Stadium, last year at uh, Shea Stadium. And now that same scenario is happening with the Islanders where they, they, did, they did draw well. I'm not arguing that. 15-something, that 15-7 or something, 90-something percent of their arena in that last year. Well, now you have that second chance. It's that second chance to see your arena before it goes. Last year, they didn't sell it out, but they sold out 90-something percent. It was it holds 13-9. I think they averaged 13-5 or 13-6 at the Coliseum. It surprised me that it wasn't 13-9 every night. But here to have 10, that surprises me, uh, number one. And then the that leads to what your question is in my very, very, very long-winded answer in a non-podcast uh, Andrew Gross voice <laughs> is essentially that because the Islanders have never drawn, their argument has always been, well, we've historically been a bad team. There's no disputing that for, for 20, 30 years. And we've historically played in a really – Bad arena. In an outdated arena where they, they can't make money. Right. right? Yeah. So now uh, there was no reason for you to go uh, multiple times. That's now not going to be an answer anymore. Right. Now with the, with Belmont, they're going to have the best arena, in the newest arena and probably the best arena in, in the league. And they, by all accounts, look like they're going to have a winning team. Right, right. So yeah. what, what's the answer going to be? Are they, is it going – now you said 17, uh, 17 and change. Um, they, I mean, Neil said this uh, – on the point, and he and he's completely right. They don't the economics of sports have changed, where you don't need to draw seventeen and change to to make it a success. The Islanders will be a business success just by opening this new arena because of all the uh, you know the revenue drivers they have in there. But they can't draw ten. Right, right. No, and, and I'm just going over the Islanders' attendance figures. I mean, they got the sellout of thirteen nine one seven only for the season opener against the Capitals. Uh, the second home game against the Winnipeg Jets was down to nine nine two three. Now, the feedback I've gotten from uh, some Islander season ticket holders, fans, is that there was a lot of confusion going into this season as to you know how many at the Coliseum, how many at Barclays. I know the Jets game, for instance, was switched late relatively to the Coliseum. Um, but now the schedule, you know the schedule now, and, and really the attendance has not bumped up. Uh, the, uh, the Flyers game was – the Flyer game wasn't bad relatively at 12.055. I mean, that's probably not a, a number that the NHL prefers in general, but it's better than, you know, the Coyotes. And Arizona Coyotes is a tough draw in the New York area. Um, that was 10.752. Um, St. Louis Blues, the defending Stanley Cup champion, Columbus Day matinee. That that's ten three five five. 
And and you pick up on one major point is that two of those early games were moved and they were just announced at the uh, at the groundbreaking, which I think was like September 16th. So they get like they got like two weeks notice. It does make you wonder what those numbers would have been had they been in Brooklyn, because right. obviously it probably would have been less. Um, but that being said, there was n- very little lead up. And I do know that uh, many people involved were not happy because that decision was made long before that. They just couldn't get the OK to announce it. Uh, that being said, all the other games you mentioned, I mean, if 12 is your low number, the league still won't be happy about that. But that's a little different story than averaging in the, in the, in the tens. Right. Now, what's your take? Because um, you've been all over this, uh, the arena reporting. Uh, Belmont is supposed to open up in October 2021. So we have this season and we have next season. And What's your take on next season? I mean, the plan always was to split the games between Brooklyn and Nassau Coliseum. Do you still see that as being a plan for next season? Well, I mean, that, it's obviously the question that uh, most Islander fans have been asking for some time. Uh, if you look at history, history has always been that they're moving games more and more to to the uh, Nassau Coliseum. Uh, and so obviously there's every reason to believe that's, that trend will continue. Will it be all all of them? I think if you ask me... A month ago, I, I've long believed, and this is an, an informed opinion, that once ground was broken, all the games would move. Now, obviously, that's not possible for this year. You, you just can't do it. And ground was not broken ceremonially, quote unquote, until the season's essentially, you know, preseason underway. So that means that next season, you would think logically they're going to play all their games at the Coliseum. Uh, no one has ever said that. Um, you know, it's definitely been bandied about. But here's the uh, variable in this scenario is that now you have what was a two-headed ownership monster be a three-headed ownership monster. <laughs> so why, why would the Islanders not have the most complicated structure <laughs> for anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> and now the Onexum people, I did ask them that uh, question when I spoke to them a couple weeks back, uh, just about how you know they are now a party to a lease that – that that they're a part, you know, they're obviously the connector of the lease. It's their lease with the Islanders to play at another arena that they don't have any say in. It's a very bizarre thing. That, you know, the Barclays Center is owned by someone who has nothing to do with right. the Islanders' setup. Right. So that's another reason why you'd think they would be moving out of that as soon as possible. But again, it's just another complication in this that we just need to see play out. And there's also these two lawsuits playing out too. And I think uh, the Islanders and the developers want to see um, those clouds completely uh, uh you know gone away before they completely uh you know change anything hey, just a, a couple of the last two based off of that what is you know what's your take on it is it full steam ahead with the belmont park arena i know you're still dealing with a couple of like you mentioned lawsuits do you see anything in the future that could derail i i obviously the building's going to get built but the 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 schedule to open when they want to open. So uh, obviously the building is being built. Uh, that's the uh, for Islander fans. That's you should drive down the Cross Island Parkway or look at their webcam on their website and and see it. And and that should give you the most reassurance. That being said, anyone who will tell you what's going to happen in these lawsuits uh, is lying because mm-hmm. it's up to one man, a, a judge, to decide whether it's going to go forward. That day will come. As early as a month from now, it could be six months. It could be a year. It, these judges all take different uh, periods of time, and there's no there's no saying. All we know is when the papers need to be filed, and that's going to be continuing for the, uh, up until mid mid November. Uh, there's two lawsuits. Uh, the developers say they're not worried. You know, ESD say, says they're not worried. 
Um, but what are they going to say? You know, mm-hmm. the, it, at the end of the day, uh, the lawsuits have not stopped construction. And until that happens, I don't think Islander fans uh, should be concerned. But they're they're hanging out there. And any, any if any fan base knows that, you know, things can uh, come up out of the blue, it, it's this fan base. So, I mean, I don't I, – I get this one guy on Twitter all the time, you know, telling me, you promised me this was going to ha- – no, I've learned <laughs> never to promise you on anything Islanders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of uh, – if the worst can happen, you know, Murphy Law uh, yeah. this seems to be in play. And, and I just want to take you back. One more question on Brooklyn. To me, the wild card is – what does the NHL want? Because you saw last year they wanted playoff games in Brooklyn because the revenue potential is so much greater in Brooklyn than it is at Nassau Coliseum. And I'm just wondering, you know, this season, next season, is the league going to demand the Islanders keep a a skate in Brooklyn just so they can have playoffs there? And and one thing that the fans often um, don't recognize in this, and they always say, oh, the owners are so greedy that they want that revenue. Well, it's the Players Association, too, because yeah. there is revenue sharing here. And the more every dollar that goes into that pot, the more goes to the players as well. I'm not saying that they're the drivers of this, but they're all in favor of, of more money, as we all are, obviously. Um, you know, the league will obviously have a say. They will have the final say in this. Uh, and they have they did prefer Brooklyn for several reasons, uh, revenue being one, but also for the experience uh, of fans. The concourses are small at the Coliseum. We've seen what happens when when they when they pack it out. Uh, that being said, if it's a short period of time and this arena is clearly being built and clearly opening October 2021, and there's no lawsuits and nothing standing in the way, I would be stunned if the league is the reason why it doesn't happen. All right. And I lied. I actually had one more for you. Uh, we talked about this on the phone. The Islanders just lost their business manager, uh, Travis Williams, um, who had come in with the idea that he was going to shepherd the, the arena project, and he was here, what, 11 months. He came from the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now he goes back to Pittsburgh and takes over the, the Pirates. And just what what do you see the impact of that being, and does this slow the Islanders down as they now are on kind of an unexpected job you know job search here? It, it's certainly a PR blow. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I mean, they, they hired this guy after – what was really a long search for what they viewed as a president of the organization first. You know, they, they were looking for that, you know, they were looking for the, the biggest over uh, figurehead out there to, to run the show. And then obviously, you know, Lou fell in their lap. There was all of these different things that, that came about. But they, they sought after Travis Williams because of his experience with arenas. And the Console Energy Center in Pittsburgh, which he was a big part of getting done, is one of the best buildings in the league. Yeah, and he was also the general counsel of the Pirates uh, prior to that when they built PNC Park. Which is probably the best baseball stadium right now. Yeah. It's it's amazing. If, if you want to take a road trip, go see a Pirates game because it's just – it hits on – Every single level. And, you know, one thing you can say about this Islander ownership group is that they do do their homework. And so when they hired him, um, they certainly didn't think he was going to leave after 11 months. They didn't. uh, It's hard, also hard to blame him for leaving because someone who's spent his whole professional career in Pittsburgh and and come up through his organizations and now gets a chance to completely run uh, the Pirates, uh, which is obviously a a big deal there. You know, so be it. Um, And he's it's a step up from where he is now, but it's a blow. It's a yeah. blow PR-wise, and it's a blow because, you know, they really 
like we talked all about their, them selling tickets. Uh, this is going to be a challenge uh, any which way you're going to put it. Um, and then they thought they had the answer in them. And, and right now they need to, you know, go back and go back to the drawing board. Well, uh, it's, it's fascinating stuff, Jim. I, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes to uh, go over that and uh, clarifying some things. Uh, one player who will be at Belmont Arena, we know this, is Captain Anders Lee, who uh, is in the first season of a seven-year Seven million dollar per season extension, so that's seven of forty nine. Uh, he is your captain. He's going to be here, and uh, I got a chance to sit down with him in the Islanders dressing room just to go over his new deal and the start of his season and a couple of other things, uh, some football questions as well. So uh, this is my chat with Islanders captain Anders Lee. I'm here with uh, Islanders captain Anders Lee. Anders, thanks for taking a couple of minutes. Can you just quickly give me some impressions on how the start of the season has gone? Does it seem similar to Barry's first year here? And, and what kind of promise do you see out of this group? You know, I think it definitely feels like a different year for sure. I think, um, you know, we have a lot to build off of last season. And, um, you know, I think so far we've done a good job responding to our first few games and kind of getting our feet under us here and kind of getting back to our ways. And I think that's shown and been evident in our last, you know, four games uh, building off one another. And even if it's not our best, you know, 60-minute game, we're finding ways to win. And at the end of the day, that's kind of all that matters. And uh, it's been a decent start so far. Yeah, I spoke on the last episode, banking points is always so important later in the season. And that's that's been a good sign through the uh, first eight games or so. Yeah, I think so. I think any time you're able to squeak out a, a point or two extra when things weren't looking good, I think an example of that's the St. Louis game. Um, you know, down all night, and we just found a way to st- stick with it and get one late and, and tie it up at the end there. So uh, one of those games where you kind of pull one out and uh, exactly like you said, putting those points away. No, we, We've obviously spoken about this, but just – what's your comfort level now you know the contract stuff is all out of the way you know what your future is how just as a human being how how settled and how good a feeling is that it's phenomenal i think uh you know it's been a really fun uh, last 12 months and you know where the direction of our team is going and what we built off of and i couldn't have been more excited to you know continue this journey here it's uh, the only home I've known, and um, you know now that all those the business, you know that other side of it's gone, we can just worry about hockey and do all the stuff that you always want to do: show up and play and uh, win hockey games with the guys. Just uh, some quick impressions: Matthew Barzell's obviously had a, a pretty decent start to the season here. What do you, you know? He's still only 22. I mean, what kind of growth do you see out of him, and and how exciting is it to play on a line with him? Yeah, I think you know just kind of going back to what you talked about previously I think just a clear head and confidence that he's playing with is really taking him really far and I don't think uh, he has a limit on his potential I think he's just continuing to get better and you can see that in his game and developing all areas of it and um, you know this four game win streak's been uh, you know heavily relied upon because of him and uh, he deserves a lot of credit for that and um, you know it's just he's a great great person to have on your team that's for sure (laughs) I, I, I spoke about this on the last episode too, but the, the confidence you guys have to have 
when you go into a three-on-three overtime. It's just got to, I mean, it, it, you know, you, you throw Brock out to start, you get Bar, you know you got Barzell coming out. And what, what kind of feeling is that for you guys on the bench? Well, I think right now the way we're playing our three-on-three, we've, we've definitely figured out what we want to do and have our tactics on it, and we're executing those things. And um, guys might not be scoring every shift, but we, we've had some really good possession in these overtimes. And um, you wear a team down in the shift just like uh, Brock's goal there in uh, Columbus a um, couple smart plays attacked at the right time and you know ended up with the rebound and a goal one other area that seems to be you know improved certainly from last season is the power play work you're getting you know really good puck movement you're getting pucks on net I guess the frustrating thing probably is that you're just not getting as many opportunities as perhaps you'd want yeah I think uh, you know we might be one of the lower uh, have the least amount of power plays in the league but you know those things are cyclical we might get a huge burst here coming up and you got to just be ready to go and continue to move that puck because i know we talk about it all the time but power play movement getting shots all that stuff uh creating that havoc uh we've done a really good job of it and uh you know capitalized on a few of them what what is the difference if you can pinpoint it you know going from uh Working with Jim Hiller this this year instead of Scotty uh, Scott Gomez from last season, do you are there any really obvious differences to the players? Uh, you know, I think just you know when you have someone new come in and you hear their perspective and um, things get shuffled up a little bit and you just have a little bit of um, you know it's a commitment from all of us. I mean, there's a reason why we weren't uh, where we wanted to be last year, and I think we've just done a good job of. Um, everyone communicating building off of one another and um jim's come in and done a really good job with the structure and and, uh you know our automatics and things like that so uh that makes things easier too any uh college football thoughts there how's uh how the fighting irish doing and how do you think they're gonna do oh they're doing great they're having a great year tough loss to georgia in georgia and you know we'll see what happens i think it might be tough for them to squeak into the playoff but uh you know they're always right there in the top of the country and uh, you know, maybe we'll see them, but hopefully they make a run. And also, just last one, how's your cousin Ryan Connolly doing? I know that was a really tough injury. He suffered for the Giants. He was playing really well. You told me you were at that game. Just how's he doing? And you know, how's the family rallying around him right now? Uh, he's doing really good. Thanks for thanks for asking. He just had a surgery a few days a few days ago, and uh, so now he's you know starting that process of getting back on the field. And um, he's a real strong kid, smart kid. So he's gonna he's gonna be just fine but pretty tough circumstance after having such a great start to his career. Anders, thanks so much for the time. All the best. Thank you. Appreciate it. And my thanks again to Anders Lee for taking the time to answer a few questions. Just want to point out that I did sit down and speak with him before Notre Dame lost 45-14 to Michigan. So, again, thank you, Anders, and uh, sorry about that game. Uh, I know that one probably really didn't sit well with you. Um, so it's, uh, it's time for some more, uh, Q&A here. I think this has become a kind of a popular feature, or at least I hope it has through the first, uh, four episodes. You guys have been great submitting questions via Twitter. Um, again, before each episode, I'll just put up a tweet asking you to reply with any questions and I will get to as many as I can get. And again, uh, I know... Some of you have asked me to bunch the questions by subject matter. Really, what I'm doing is I'm just going on Twitter and scrolling through and uh, answering as they come. So uh, 
let's get to it. Um, let's see. Oh, thank you, Damon Viteri. Uh, just wanted to represent the Josh Bailey fan club and say that he is elite. And yeah, you know what? He is playing uh, pretty good so far this season. So uh, thanks, Damon, for chiming in. Um, let's see. Doc Ed said, and when he says last night, he was talking about the game on Sunday against the Flyers. Last night, we saw Michael Del Call playing with Casey on the identity line, but we also saw Ross Johnson play well and produce on the fourth line. Who do you think is a better fit to fill out the identity line while Matt Martin is out? Thank you. Uh, P.S. All these names are pretty easy to say. Yes, Doc Ed. I, I don't think I, I, I messed any of those up. Thank you so much. Um, you know what? I, I, I do like I, I do like Dal Cal with Casey and Clutterbuck there. I, I you know, not trying to and no disrespect to Matt Martin. I just think Dal Cal might be able to spark uh, Casey's offense just a little bit more. And uh, Casey, obviously, with 20 goals last season, playing a lot with Matty. Um, I, I, I like Dal Cal there. And and you saw Ross Johnson score a goal. Um, so he obviously was comfortable where he was. I thought he had a very good game as well. So right now, I, I really like Dal Cal. And just because he, he fits with that group really well, his game, his style, his energy. Um, he's a kid that really, you know, it doesn't quit moving his feet or he never quits on a puck. So I, I just think he fits in with Casey and, and Clutter really, really well. Um, Melissa asks if you could ask if you could make your own lines pretending there are no injuries or illnesses or illness. Who would you pair in my in your game, in my lineup? And I, I would like to say this is why Barry Trotz makes a whole lot more money than me. But if there are no injuries, if Jordan Eberle is back, I, I put him back with Matthew Barzell and the captain, Anders Lee. I just think that's a really solid trio. I like what Jordan can bring there um, with, with, with Barzy and... You know, Jordan is probably the best pure goal scorer on this team. And, and I just think you put that kind of talent on the top line. So I would have him there. Um, where it gets interesting, really, and the whole question with the lineup right now is, what do you do with Derek Broussard? Because he was brought in to be the third line center. And he really struggled in that role. But in, over the last three games, he has looked really, really good on Brock Nelson's right wing along with Anthony Beauvillier. You kind of feel like that trio has something going. Um, if you're asking me right now, and this sort of, uh, it makes the bottom six a little bit unbalanced because you don't really have that, you know, third line center or, you know, uh, and, and actually what you're probably doing is uh, what they did in the last game against the Flyers. You're making Casey Sezikis's line the third line you know, per se, God, per se. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, Casey Sezikis's line is, is, is probably the third line right now. Um, I keep, like I said, Brass and Bo with uh, Brock. Um, Killer Bees, maybe? I don't know. Um, and then you have the third line. And speaking of the Killer Bee, we, we mentioned Josh Bailey. Um, with, with Brass, with Brock, you, you get Josh Bailey maybe on that other line. And 
this is where the, the jigsaw puzzle really doesn't fit because Josh Bailey, if I'm saying Casey Sezekis is a third line, then Josh Bailey should not be on a fourth line because obviously you, you got Casey with uh, Matty Martin and Cal Clutterbuck. Oh, I'm forgetting myself. I'm, I'm talking myself out of this hole because if everyone is healthy, then yeah, Casey and Matty and Clutter are the identity fourth line and Josh Bailey can be a you know, in that third line, which has really kind of become a second checking line. The, the problem is, again, you don't really have that, that third line center if Brass is on the second line right wing. Right now, Cole Bardreau is, play, is playing in the middle. Leo Komarov has been out with illness. He'll come back. He's really more of a right wing. He's been playing center. Um, do you bring up you know, maybe give uh, Otto Koivua, uh, do you give him a shot there? Do you, do you bring up Tanner Fritz? Um, I think this is the real, you know, kind of question mark in their lineup where things don't fit perfectly is, is that fourth or third center position if you're taking brass out of the mix. And, and maybe, you know, Barry stops banging his head against the wall trying to figure this problem out like I'm banging my head against the wall trying to figure this out and he winds up moving brass back down to you know in the middle and just gets Josh Bailey with Brock Nelson and Bo and then you can have brass with Oliver Wallstrom on the right or actually you know and maybe Leo on that line as well when he comes back and then you get the identity line with Casey Maddie and uh, Clutter so Maybe that's the way I go. Tommy Kuhnhockel's kind of an extra guy out in that scenario. Um, have to see where that one goes. Uh, Ryan Jenkins says, surplus of uh, defensemen. If Letty is off the market, who do you think Lou can offer at or before the deadline? Logjam log everywhere, it seems. And, and we talked about this. Nick Letty seemed the logical guy to be able to bring back a top six forward and and honestly, with the way Nick Letty is playing right now, yeah, uh, he absolutely, the return should be a top six uh, wing for Nick Letty. But I, I think that's very hypothetical. I think the organization is really, really enamored with Nick Letty's play and doesn't want to give up on it. Um, does does that mean maybe Scotty Mayfield is a, a, a trade candidate? You know, he's got a manageable contract. Um, I know how much... Uh, Barry loves the Adam Pellick, uh, Ryan Pulak, uh, pairing. And I, I think Devontae's is kind of an untouchable in the organization. And I think Noah Dobson has sort of gotten that status. Um, you, you, you don't give up on these 19 year old defensemen who could really, really blossom into something special, even if he's not playing right now. And, you know, we'll go over a little bit more of that, but you know, Noah Dobson could be a special player, and uh, I think it's way too soon. You know, I know teams will ask for him, but I wouldn't trade him. So, I mean, if it's not Nick Letty and you're telling me the Islanders have to trade a defenseman, I think Scotty Mayfield becomes the logical guy, but I, I don't think they would be too will. You know, they're not in a rush to trade any of those guys right now. It would have to be a really great return. And maybe uh, as, you know, the depth uh, amongst the forwards kind of presses the issue at a certain point here. But, you know, hey, it's working for him right now, like you say, seven wins in a row. So, um, 
Let's see. Brian G says, is there any mending of fences between Hosang and the Islanders? No. Uh, if not, uh, a trade with Edmonton for, for um, Pul Jarve, Pulu Jarve, who I believe just signed in Russia, right? Um, seems like a good change of scenery move for both teams. What are your thoughts? Uh, I, again, I, I don't think that player is available for trade anymore, and I think Hosang winds up in Europe. Um, the Light Lawson asks, what do you think is the long-term plan with Dobson and Wallstrom? Well, I, I think the long-term plan is they're both going to be pillars in the lineup. Um, whether that is this season or not, um, that's probably not going to be the case on a full-time basis. Um, Lou has mentioned many, many times that he really wishes he could get Noah Dobson to the AHL. They can't. Uh, Canadian junior player, they don't want to send him back to juniors. Lou Lamarillo said this week that's not a consideration at this time. Um, as far as Wallstrom, you know, we, we talked on the previous episode. It, it seems like if he could just get one goal, it would start coming in bunches. But his ice time has kind of been diminishing here. And, uh, you know, maybe his immediate future when guys start getting healthy as he goes back to the AHL, gets a little bit more seasoning. I go this, I know that runs counter to what I was saying in the last episode, but it just seems with what I saw in these last three games that I, I think the organization thinks he needs a little bit more seasoning and just learning how to be a pro. I mean, uh, again, you know, I, I think they think the same with Dobson, but they're kind of, you know, there's not much movement they can make with Dobson. He's either with the Islanders or with his junior team. They're not willing to send him to his junior team. Um, Adam Sicardi says, what is the NHL rationale for this really odd scheduling? Yes, the Islanders have playing three games in 12 days. That is odd scheduling uh, to start off the season, not just with the Ra uh, Islanders. The Rangers, for instance, had that odd by week that the first 10 days you're 100 percent right adam uh, it's been sort of the talk in the dressing room you know that players don't like this they 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 really don't understand why can't there can't be a a game uh day in between game whether it's practice or an off day but you know game day off day game day off day game day off day at best maybe two days between games, that would be the optimal schedule for everyone. Um, a lot of factors go into scheduling, uh, arena availability that really hasn't been an issue so far at the Coliseum, although they have some other events in this week. Um, I, I saw them covering up the ice as I was leaving the Coliseum on Sunday night. I know they, I think they got some concerts in there this week. Um, they're at the Barclays Center for three games next week. Um, a lot of it is, you know, travel schedules, arena availability. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I agree with you that the, the NHL scheduling has been odd. And it's not just this season. It seems like there's early in the season, there's way too much time. And then you cram in all these three and fours and, you know, four games and six nights, you know, in the middle and the end. And you also have that bye week in there. It, it is odd scheduling. I, I don't think it's the most optimal. Um, but, you know, send an uh, email to Gary Bettman and uh, see what he says. Uh, Thomas Boyle says, when Eberly returns from injury, who do you see getting sent down to Bridgeport? 
Uh, right now, assuming Komarov comes back healthy as well, whenever Ebbs is ready, I, I think Wallstrom gets sent down for a little bit more seasoning. John asked, do you think Trotz will move Broussard back to center once Everly comes back? Um, yeah, I, I do as much as I know I just, you know, talked myself into a corner trying to figure out four lines with brass at right wing. I, I, like I said, I, I think eventually Barry stops banging his head against the wall and, and moves brass back to center. That's the most natural move. And maybe, you know, the way brass is played with Brock and Bo um, kind of sparks his game and he can carry over that momentum to, you know, a third-line center position uh, or role. But, boy, you know, it just seems like he's playing so much of a freer game on right wing. It's like, you know, it's like all the responsibilities that he's worried about have kind of dissipated. And he's just skating freely. And it's really fun to watch, you know. I mean, as you know, I covered Brass back with the Rangers. And he's a guy in the league that, you know, I've really always, you know, really liked as a person too. So it's... It's really fun to see him kind of getting the spark back to when he was, you know, kind of a, a top six forward with the Rangers. And I know that's how he still sees himself, too. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I, I think Barry does move Brass back to center. And you see where it goes from there. Um, let's see. Steve, thank you for the compliment. I will try and keep up the good work. Um, and thank you for grading it as good work. Um Gabagool, oh man, there's a place in Philly. It's closed now. Sarcones, I believe it was. They made the best Gabagool sub I've ever had in my life. And uh, uh, thank you to Pat Leonard, for uh, who now covers the uh, Giants. But when we were on the Ranger beat, he, he Philly guy, he brought us to that place. Uh, I think I had the Tony Soprano sub, which was Gabagool filled. And oh, just melted in your mouth. But um Anyway, Gabagool asks, do you think Wallstrom's diminishing ice time since his debut is due to his play or more a result of the team as a whole picking up the pace during the streak? Is Trotz wanting to see more out of him and third line duty is the result over top six minutes? Um, Barry will always tell you that the players will dictate their role and their ice time and their play. So... Yes, Wallstrom's ice time is diminishing. He got, I think, eight minutes against the uh, the Flyers, and it's basically what Barry is seeing out of him. Um, you know, he made a comment earlier in the week. He was uh, he's been asked a lot about Cole Bardreau, who's a 26 year old rookie, spent the last five seasons in the Flyers organization, um, finally getting a chance in the NHL, and uh, you know, Cole's minutes are not up too, but. Uh, you know, Barry was making the comparison, a 26-year-old like Cole compared to a 19-year-old like Oliver. And, and Barry just made the point that, you know, Cole at 26 knows how to be a pro, even if he hasn't been in the NHL. He just knows, you know, the proper way to practice, the proper way to take care of himself, the proper off-ice uh, training. Just, you know, everything is easier at 26 than it is at 19. So I, I think it's the whole package with Wallstrom right now. Um, but yeah, you know, when you see diminishing ice time, the first thing you look at is, is, is the play. Um, Neil Kirby says, what's your take on Bridgeport's horrible start, coaching players, etc." Um, yeah, it, it's been a really rough start for the, 
for the Sound Tigers, I think the depth issue is hitting Bridgeport a lot more than it's hitting the Islanders right now, and that would be uh, the first place I'd look. I know they've had a bunch of injuries. Koivula is back in the lineup. I know he missed a few games. Tanner Fritz has been out, and uh, don't underestimate how important Fritz is there. Wallstrom is up here. Um, so Bridgeport's being taxed. Uh, I don't think this is on Brent Thompson right now. Um, yeah, I mentioned that in the last episode as well. Uh, Big Al says, what's with the non-calls from the refs this year? At first, I thought it was crazy to think that this is a quote-unquote thing, but the further we go on and the more missed calls there are, makes you wonder. Um, there were some penalties against the Flyers. The Islanders finally got two power plays in the game. Uh, the Flyers got three, no power play goals in that. But yeah, there have been some obvious missed ones. And, and it is weird because usually uh, the referees um, are a little over-vigilant um, at the start of the season. I mean, they're crazy super-vigilant in the preseason as they, you know, as they try and you know, get the players to understand what's being looked at or how things are going to be called this season. Um, so they're super crazy vigilant in the preseason. Then they start the, the regular season being, you know, very vigilant. And then it kind of slacks off uh, as the season goes on. And, uh, you know, they let the players play. But, uh, boy, I, I don't know if it's allowing the players to play. And I, I really, I don't want to get into a spot where I'm criticizing the officials because it's not a job that you, me, or, you know, anyone could really do any better than than those refs. And probably, you know, as certainly speaking for me, I would do a lot worse. I mean, stuff happens out there really, really fast. But there are, you know, four on-ice officials. That's eight eyes. And, and stuff sometimes happens right in front of them. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't agree that there has been a, la a lack of calls uh, early in the season. That, that, that has been a little strange. Um, Nooch says, right now at 8-3, and three, what is the one area this team can improve on? Any plans to spark the offense through a trade? We need to find more goals, injuries aside. Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, uh, my last game story was based on the fact that, you know, for all this defense first, the, the, the Islanders have been scoring goals. Uh, Season-high five against the, uh, uh, the Flyers. I think that's, what, three, four games in a row? Three games in a row with at least four goals? Um, and, you know, all through the winning streak, it's been at least three goals. And, you know, I know three goals doesn't sound all that sexy. But in, in the NHL, if you have good defense, you should be able to win with three goals. And... Uh, yeah, it's three straight games with at least four goals with the season-high five in their last. Um, but yeah, I, I think Jordan Eberle coming back uh, should provide a little bit more scoring. Um, I don't think exactly right now is uh, when they're going to pull a trade. Um, but I, I, you know, and we've said this all through the offseason and, you know, it started on breakup day. You know, when uh, the management talked about having a little bit more pop in the lineup, that, yeah, uh, I think uh, a way to, you know, get, get a couple of more goals uh, would be the one area to improve on, despite the fact that the Islanders are scoring goals with a little bit of regularity now. Um, three of style, and, and thank you for the, uh, for the kind words on enjoying the podcast, um, and, and best to your family. 
Who is your candidate for most improved player since this time last year? My vote goes to Beauvillier, who's working his tail off 5-5 five and five and on the PK since Game 1. I, I, I couldn't say it better. It's clearly Beauvillier, and for the reasons you mentioned. And uh, uh, spot on, uh, three of style. Um, Noine says... Uh, Andrew, my question is about Bridgeport. Is there any concern about the development of Bellows, Holmstrom, etc., being in such a losing environment, uh, losing atmosphere? Um, it's still early in the season, so uh, it's not locked in as a losing atmosphere. But yeah, there is a value to learning how to win. Uh, you know, I, when when I first got into this business. Um, I covered the minor league Oneonta Yankees, uh, which is a short season Class A New York Penn League. And, uh, you know, even though there were in-game decisions based on, you know, development and wanting to get this guy a certain number of pitches and then this guy a certain number of pitches and they wanted to see this guy play that position, the, the people in the organization also talked about the Yankee way. And, and you know, it's kind of crazy because in the, you know, when I was covering it, which was what, 91 through 93, the Yankees weren't a very good team. Um, but they still had the vestiges of, you know, when they had been a good team, you know, maybe a decade earlier than that. Um, and, and, and there was a lot of talk about how, winning starts at that level. So yeah, no, I, there's a lot of credence to, you know, losing begets losing, right? But this early in the season, I, I don't think there's that kind of concern. Certainly not about Bellows, who's been in the organization before. Uh, Holmstrom, uh, Simon Holmstrom, the first round pick. Um, I, I think right now he's very focused on his own development. I don't think you know, the fact that his Sound Tigers are, you know, not, are struggling is going to drag him down just yet. Um, you know, ask me that question again midseason. Uh, Stephen Shears says, do you think the goalie rotation will continue or will there eventually be a number one that plays most of the time? I don't think there's going to be a strict number one that plays most of the time. I think eventually what will happen is... Barry will allow a goalie who has a really good game, say, you know, gives up, you know, one goal or a shutout, you know, or a 35 save performance. Barry's going to start giving him, you know, maybe two, three games in a row. Uh, but neither one of them is going to sit for, you know, I would say a seven or an eight game stretch. That would be my uh, take on it. Um, Tristan Peck, and, and again, thank you for the kind words. Um, <laughs> Uh, his, he's suggesting, uh, because of my, uh, easygoing delivery, the only thing that could improve it would be a roaring log fire in the background. Uh, yeah, that's funny. Uh, he asks, uh, which player, with, with player welfare being more of a consideration these days, what prevents the league from extending the 82 game regular season by a few weeks? Uh, it, it already goes very, very long. I mean, if you think about it, you know, training camp starts mid-September, you know, first game this year was October 4th. We're not going to finish the Stanley Cup until around June 10th or so. I mean, that's, you, you go, where do you go? I mean, you're really boxed in. The players need some form of off-season. Um, you know, even when you get eliminated in April, that off-season, uh, you know, these guys are skating, you know, certainly by the end of June, early July. And, you know, the informal skates start in 
you know, second, third week of August. So there's really not, there's not enough calendar to extend it by a few weeks. Um, Robert Williams says the Islanders are short-lived on the offensive side. Do they go and get a two-way forward via trade? Um, I think that's something down the line. I, I think you start looking at that. Um, you know, when you get to the Thanksgiving break or that time, uh, teams start to have a, a, a better sense of, you know, where they're gonna, <laughs> where they're going that season. And that's, I think, when the trades start kind of loosening up a little bit. So, uh, that, that's when I'd start getting my, uh, antenna up for that. Um, Matt Giacomo says, given that Broussard has been clicking on the wing, the Isles have a crater-sized hole and center depth again, which was bad enough with Broussard in there. How soon do you think we get a look at Otto Koivu in the middle? Um, I've said all along, I think he's a guy that's going to get a look this season. Um, you know, obviously things are not going great in Bridgeport and he missed a few games, but he's back. I think he's played two or three games since coming back. Um, at some point, Otto comes up, you're asking me how soon do you think we get a look at Otto Koivu in the middle? Um, probably, you know, unless there's, there's more injuries, I, I would say, you know, you're, you're probably looking at, you know, minimum, you know, three, four or five weeks before that might be a, a consideration because, you know, Leo, Leo can be used in the middle, Brass can come back in the middle, uh, you know, I know Matty Martin and, and uh, Tom Kuhnhackle are out four to six, and that puts a hole in things. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's Koivula time just yet. Um, Matt says, why has Wallstrom's ice time been diminishing? We, we've touched upon that. Um, it's been diminishing because the, uh, the coaches are not uh, totally enamored of his play uh, as of late. Rob Klein says, with Broussard playing well on the wing, does this change their trading needs to looking for a third-line center? I, I think that's more dependent on injuries. Um, if, you know, Eberle comes back, they don't sustain other major injuries. Um, you know, I think Brass winds back up at center. Um, but it's, it, you know, it's, I like your thought process there, and it might. Uh, Martian Monster Isles asks, any word on how Komarov is feeling? It seems like he's out a while for being sick, hoping he's okay. And yeah, this is, this is a heck of an illness. I, I know I said on the last, uh, episode, I, I didn't think you would miss more than one game with this. Uh, but they've kept him away. He started, I, I believe, skating on his own. Uh, I would think he gets back into practice this week. Um... You know, they never specified what kind of illness this is, um, you know, but it is unfair of me to speculate, so I'm not going to. Um, but yeah, this is this is a long one. Justin Pinchuk says, any chance Letty gets moved to a wing position with all the injuries and Dobson becomes a regular with Boychuk? Different regime, but we've seen it with Hickey before. No, no, they're, they're, they like exactly what they have with Letty where he is. I, I don't see him as a wing at all. Let's see. Uh, the last one I got is from Thomas Carroll. So we'll finish it up with Thomas. And he says, is it too early to start calling Belmont the stable? I mean, because Coliseum is the barn, right? Um, I like it. I'm a, 
I'm a horse guy. I look forward to going out and covering the Belmont Stakes every year. I, you know what? I, I, I'll call Belmont the stable. Sure. It's not, it's never too early to start calling Belmont the stable. So, uh, thank you, Thomas. Thank you everyone for submitting, uh, your questions. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, thanks to Jim Baumbach for coming into the studio and spending time with me on the, on that subject, uh, which is going to be interesting to watch. Thank you again, Anders Lee for, uh, taking time to chat with me. And, uh, again, uh, Island Ice podcast, uh, Check it out if, uh, you know, you're somehow stumbling in at the end here. Uh, it's available on the newsday.com backslash sports website. You can find Island Ice on SoundCloud. Subscribe uh, via Apple or Google or Spotify. Um, it's, uh, we're, we're taking over the world now. It's, it's all over. But uh, again, I'm Andrew Gross. Find me on Twitter, A Gross Newsday. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.